Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of No Earthly Explanation. I am here with my wonderful partner, Donald Schmidt, who came in tonight on a glorious and beautiful unicorn. How are uh, you doing, Don? <laughs> we had 50 mile an hour winds all day today. And it's also in the forecast for tomorrow and also over Easter weekend. So it's like, wow, I'm glad I, I came in <laughs> at all, considering that it was, it was quite the headwind. So, but great to be here. I'm happy to have you. It seems like our weather, even in your location and in mine, cannot make up its mind on exactly what it wants to do. It's very confused and drunk almost every day. Yeah, we're waiting for spring, but uh, by the time this airs, we'll be in, you know, the beginning throes of summer. So, yeah, all true. Things, all good things yet coming. That is very true. Well, tonight will be a, a very fun and, and uh, interesting evening for me with some reviewing and more footage people are sending for me to uh, look over, which I found really interesting when someone sent me a footage of a Chinese lantern and I really hated to break the news to them, but it happens and I get it. And I understand that, you know, there is some misidentification and that's okay. Cause if you've never seen one before, you just don't know what it is. It's just a burning ball of light in the sky. So it's just fun. I love reviewing all that. But in the meantime, on the show, we have the spectacular the amazing guest and that is todd fisher our producer what a todd. fabulous guest you have for this episode too i might add <laughs> this is what happens when we can't book a guest for an episode the producer has yes. to come on <laughs> if i could just redress for a moment uh when, when Britt mentioned as far as that she had to break the news to uh, a uh, witness of a Chinese lantern, that, yes. uh, that it was something very prosaic, very conventional. And I hearken back to a time when it was a member of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And she was talking about how, uh, how poorly trained observers were that there was no such thing as a legitimate witness. And she cited the time that she misidentified a full moon. She thought it was a UFO. She thought it was something extraordinary. And I'm thinking to myself, in all the years I've worked in this field, I have not once had anyone mistake the moon, the moon for being anything but the moon. And wow. She's working with SETI. And it's like, oh, my God, lady, stop telling us we're not seeing what we're seeing because, you know, you are the most unqualified if, of all. If you can't even tell um, the moon from something. You know, that, that is a people, first for me, Don. That's yeah, a first yeah. for me. Oh, that was on televised television. That was on the Peter Jennings UFO special back in 2005 and she was using that as an example that see if even the most highly trained scientists can't tell the difference between the moon and something that shouldn't be in the sky then why should we trust anyone else well lady you're the only one i don't trust because <laughs> i mean you would tell me the sky was blue and i would still do a double tape because uh, who knows what you'd be seeing 
<laughs> if she's a scientist or or anything, I think that we need to watch who our scientists are. Maybe I should. Yes, yes. yes. Wow. <laughs> Sit back and take a second when listening to a scientist. I never forget that. So, getting back, to, getting back to our producer Todd. So tonight we're going to be fielding questions that have come in from the listeners. And That's right. Uh, actual format of this particular program it's going to be about us and what our opinions and our positions are and as the audience has uh, submitted these these questions we'll see if any uh, of these stump us any of, of, of these trick us or if, if if todd slips in a ringer and really tries to trip us up so <laughs> Fire at will, Todd, whenever you're ready. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> these, are, these are actual questions from real listeners. So some of you who are listening might recognize these. I'm not going to say the emails and things that came in because half of them are unpronounceable to me. But... In a, in a Hellman's mayonnaise jar. <laughs> kept public library since uh, January. No, I'm kidding. But... I actually love the Q and A. So I do these on all my podcasts. We always do Q and A's and, and I think they're fun to do because especially as we do more episodes, a lot of the basic stuff that people want to know we've covered and it's a good way to uh, kind of touch on those questions again for people. So again, these are uh, real questions from real listeners. So let me get into the first hard hitting question. And this one is for Brett. Hard hitting question, I might add here. What is the difference between Bigfoot and Sasquatch? <laughs> That's oh the first one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's actually regional. It just depends on where, like in Florida, we have skunk ape. Um, Bigfoot is really, I mean, honestly, the Bigfoot term came from the 1960s. So from the original cast that was taken of the foot and it became Bigfoot. So that just kind of became, but Sasquatch is actually from Native American um, history. So it just really depends on who you talk to. If you say Bigfoot, everybody immediately knows who it is. If you talk about Sasquatch, you might sound a little bit more professional because it's like, oh, you know the history of what Bigfoot really is and not just from the 1950s and 60s when people started coming out with, with footprints, actually late 60s, excuse me. So, you know, that's really where it comes from. And I even had somebody recently that was like, um, hold up, what's a skunk ape? And I was like, oh, that's Florida's. <laughs> that's Florida's Bigfoot, so- yeah. Does the uh, the abominable snowman fit in there, or is that just simply a cartoon character? <laughs> well, he does. He does. He's Yeti. I mean, that's that's basically what Yeti is. But you'll find him in like the Himalayas. So, however, we have had white, which I find really interesting. We have had white Bigfoot seen in the mountains and in Alaska. So that's interesting to me. So we're still that's still hmm, I don't know. But Yeti once was on again, a vacation in higher elevations though mountains with snow caps and that uh true again as though to blend in with the uh immediate environment that's true or like you know like we said on our last um episode is might be age i mean we don't really know but if you look at like like you just mentioned the snow caps and things like that in the polar regions most of those animals are all white you have like the, the certain foxes that are all white. You have the polar bears. Everything's white. Of course, it has to blend into the surrounding areas. So I would assume Yeti over, over time evolved into that color to better survive and stay hidden. And that would be why the color would be white. Just like in the mountain regions, they come in like dark browns and, and in Florida, they're black. It's easier to blend into the swampy areas if you're in dark colored hair 
And then in the browns and lighter colors blend in a lot better in the foliage up north. So, I mean, I just think it, I think it really is regional with animals. It's the same thing. Good, good. Don, this question's for you. Um, actually, there's two questions here that are fairly similar. So I think I'm going to lump them together. These are from two different listeners. The first one is, do you believe any of the aliens survived the Roswell crash? And then there's another question that is, where do you think the bodies from the Roswell crash are at now? Mm-hmm. We, uh, through the course of the investigation, we focused on just establishing whether remains bodies were recovered in the first place. And as we were able to then actually discover witnesses and then locations, and we would learn that there were two separate body sites. One was two and a half miles east-southeast of the actual debris field, which is uh, what the United States Army acknowledged. That was part of that press release that went out on Tuesday, July 8th of 1947, where they had acknowledged they had actually captured a flying saucer. So you had a couple of bodies at that location, two and a half miles east-southeast, and then at the final impact site, another 25 miles along that same trajectory, about 35 miles north of Roswell, you had the remains of a pod, a capsule, like the inner internal cabin of the craft, about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. And we had long considered why the Roswell sheriff and deputies, as well as firemen from the Roswell Fire Department, would have been out to that very location prior to the arrival of the military. And um, it would be specifically for that very fact that the uh, location was within that same county. Whereas the debris field is in Lincoln County, the high desert of the central part of the state, the impact site with the craft and the bodies is within within uh, Chavez County. So their jurisdiction, they would have had no business, no authority going into another county. So that's why we then started to focus on something much closer to town, much closer to Roswell. Well, isn't it interesting that both the sheriff and a specific fire crew chief by the name of, the sheriff was uh, George Wilcox and the uh, fire crew uh, chief was Dan Dwyer. And they both described seeing a survivor. In other words, one was walking, one was injured, one was stumbling around the crash site and um, with no means of uh, survival, uh, it was left as far as, uh, you know, basically here, as far as on this strange planet with uh, no uh, sign of any rescue or, 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 or help. Uh, 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 available at the time. And so we then started to focus on the base and we learned of um, an administrator's secretary by the name of um, Miriam Bush, who was grabbed by the uh, hospital administrator, took her into uh, an examination room. And her first reaction was, my God, their children under these sheets on these gurneys. And then she saw the one move and she saw the head and it clearly was not a child. It was something uh, non-human. 
we uh, the the most uh, evidential evidential witness was a MP by the name of uh, Elazar Benavides, and he described that they were loading up gurneys at Building P three, which was a B twenty nine hangar, and as they were loading the again covered gurneys on into the back of the ambulance truck. One of the men stepped on the corner of the sheet, pulled it free, and there was the face staring him in the eye as the eyes opened. And it was something he never got over. Uh, it haunted him for the rest of his life. And so we had both civilian and military to what we consider a fact that there were there was indeed a survivor. The bodies from the crash, as well as the survivor, originally went to Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio. This is now seven years before Area 51 even began. And uh, Wright Field would become Wright Patterson. We would learn that by the early 80s, everything had been shipped out of Wright Pat. And we then started to make efforts in determining where the bodies would be today. And presently, we are convinced that they are at Dugway, which is the Biological Medical Research Facility in Dugway, Utah. And we have first-hand witnesses to that effect. So there was a survivor, yes. And where we're convinced the bodies are today is in Dugway, Dugway, Utah. I've never heard that before. <laughs> we talk all the time. That's never come oh, up. That's great. You never asked before, Todd. So wow. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Haven't I, John? We've had those. <laughs> yes, I, the only thing I ever really heard about or thought about was I thought that someone at one point had said that the bodies had gone to like Washington, D.C. and then the wreckage went to Wright Field. But that would have been some time ago. Oh, there were different flights, Todd. I mean, originally some of the bodies did go up the chain of command, went to Fort Worth, Army Airfield, and uh, the uh, commander of the 8th Air Force, Roger, uh, General Roger Ramey, who was the boss with the 509th, the first uh, atomic bomb squadron in Roswell. And so bodies transited through Fort Worth before going on uh, to Wright Field. Let me so ask you this real quick. Um, yeah. So the wreckage was transported on a train right some some most of it flew out by a, a plane b-29 okay. and uh, the bodies the, were only flown yes correct okay. all right good right um this next question is i guess for both of you here what do you believe the bermuda triangle is please do an episode on this oh okay don you can go first obviously for anyone just getting involved with the subject and the thought that, especially with the famous, you know, disappearance of Flight 19 back in 1945, those Avenger uh, fighters off of the coast of Fort Lauderdale, and that there was a search plane that also then disappeared. And this, I, you know, just every so many years later, they would discover another. Uh, uh, down plane, down, you know, beyond the Florida shelf. And they would come back with an engine serial number and claim that it matched one of those very aircraft. And the date, it's never happened. They have yet to determine the final, you know, uh, graveyard 
all those aircraft. And yet there are those who also theorize that they may have even come inland, that as uh, you know, the storm came up and as they were running low on fuel, that they uh, lost all direction and we may eventually find them even in the Everglades at some point. That's another theory. But I find that I, I, I tend to agree with my colleagues who suggest that most of this was concocted by a bunch of authors with the hope of uh, creating some form of uh, a mystery, specifically within that triangle. And I realize and I accept the fact that there are magnetic fields, magnetic vortexes that even shift around throughout the world. There was even a book that came out back in the 80s called The Great Lakes Triangle, suggesting that, you know, there were a, a whole, you know, flurry of aircraft that had gone down like uh, in Lake Michigan and uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald up in Lake Superior that... Uh, it was strangely disappeared. Well, I know we're living in Wisconsin. I know what happened with Edmund Fitzgerald. And because there's a naval flight school, a naval facility in Glenview, Illinois, I know for a fact that they were training over Lake Michigan. And many a time, these inexperienced pilots went down in Lake Michigan. It had nothing to do with being grabbed by UFOs or, or, or any mystery of, of, of that sort. So I know for a fact that whenever there's a disappearance, that in almost every case, there is wreckage, there are oil slicks recovered, there's bad weather often involved. And for someone who used to fly, I know that there are areas all around the world that you will lose navigation, you will lose compass, that because of magnetic and even the earth itself shifting on its axis, that um, it could create all types of problems specifically for pilots. And so I'm one of those who believe that the Bermuda Triangle, as well as any of these other triangles, is mainly a act of fiction perpetrated by a whole series of writers with the hope that... Um, it just sell a lot of books. You realize you realize that the, the, the really no new books on the Bermuda Triangle in the last 20 years. Nothing. Because that's how long it's been since these, these pretty much were all explained away. Britt, do you concur? I I agree to I do agree with like some some parts of it. Um, but there there for me it's always been a mystery and and like I always enjoyed the theory that it's possible there could be a portal. And then when these other triangles started appearing, even the Alaska triangle, I started going, okay, what's going on here? What's really happening here? So I definitely, I can agree with, with what Don is saying in regards to more of a conspiracy and making it for hype and hoopla. Um, but there are like those random handful of occurrences that have happened in those areas that have left me scratching my head because like Don said, most of it can be explained away. Like you're going to find these vessels, you know, and because flying in the air, our, our mechanisms do get messed with. And there are frequency clouds that you go through and your freaking compass will go nuts and you have no idea where you are. And there's plenty of pilots that have come forward and saying that that actually happens. There's also different altitudes when you get to a certain height that you start to come a little delirious 
And so they, they have tested that like back way back in the forties and Don, you, you know, this too, like some of those vessels didn't have really great protection to protect them from raising those altitude. There wasn't any type of um, decompression inside some of those aircrafts. So That's they correct. were, they were getting a little bit like hallucinations and, and not really seeing things as they were. And so I do think they just kind of got a little bit out of body and, and kind of flew the wrong direction, not on purpose. Um, I think the ones for me are the ones that are said from the boat, like from the boat side, that makes me wonder if there's just something happening magnetic wise in certain parts, not necessarily in the triangle, but around those areas that do mess. I, I'm more uh, fascinated by the magnet, like the magnet side of it, like what could be there creating some of these issues. So do I think it's like a portal? Mm. No. Do I think it's like a bend in time or a time loop situation or a possible tr time travel, like wormhole situation? No, I think it can completely be explained away by science. Interesting well, to, to know most of the listeners have uh, seen the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And uh, at the end with Devil's Tower, with the mothership landing and all those <laughs> kidnapped, abducted as far as pilots yeah. and as far as uh, as far as sailors, as far as on all those disappeared ships, all returned as though entertaining that very idea that for all these decades, all these people have been whisked away by and didn't age a bit when they came off. <laughs> right, exactly. aged a bit. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. But, so, but for the record, I think the Bermuda Triangle is just the home world for the mermaids. And I think they're just trying to keep it quiet there. They don't want anyone to know that they're there. God, I think there's poking the bear. Thousands, thousands of mermaids live there, is my opinion. So I think that's just as strong a theory as anything else we've got going on. <laughs> You're just poking the bear. You just want me to go yeah, off. I hardly get to guest on your show. So that's true that's true this just means I, we're just gonna have to have you back i get to i get to sit and listen to all the episodes but i finally get to participate <laughs> that's true that's true don uh, okay so uh don here's the next questions for you um if you weren't investigating roswell what would you investigate oh that's a good oh very one. good question i've never been asked that before i've been prior to roswell i was working with dr heineck my scientific director on missing time cases. And we had the very good fortune of working with the late Stanley B. Mitchell, who was the president of the American Hypnosis Society. And he was the one who had invented during the Korean War battlefield hypnosis for performing, you know, major surgeries and amputations. And uh, I mean, he was fantastic. And so that I was the only other investigator aside from Heineck that was working with him. And, and, and it was at the time when these cases were very pristine. There wasn't a lot of material that had been released to the public. And as a result, there was a lot of controlled information that was being withheld to then serve as a, uh, you know, control for, you know, you're comparing notes with, uh, you know, subsequent uh, reports, uh, other experiences, that type of thing. But, I think today I, I, I'd be most likely I'd be working on another old case because I feel that it was the older cases were still the best ones because the air was still very virgin. Um, you know, 
rockets and jets were still in their infancy. And as a result, there was very little else that could account for technology that was way beyond our own at that time. Today, when you hear of a UFO report, you know, the first thing that crosses my mind is a drone or as Britt was talking earlier, a Chinese lantern. There's so many, you know, there are dozens of other possibilities. But in, in the oldie but goodies back then, the sky was wide open. And as a result, I, I especially would like to get into the possibility of a Russian Roswell and a British Roswell, Mexican Roswell, the idea that if it could happen here once, then it's happened in other countries as well. And then to, uh, and, and, and hopefully find a government that would be much more responsive, much more open to the idea, oh, you actually are looking into this, you wanna investigate this? Let's provide you with our documents, provide you with our files on this case. So I think that'd be the ultimate irony that the truth about you know being visited and the fact that these craft had crashed here, uh, not only in, in the United States, but in other countries, the irony would, be, would come that we would prove Roswell in another country. The fact that uh, I think uh, just because we blindly march in step with our own government and they are demonstrating today more than ever that they are the last people in my mind to trust on any subject and especially on, on this one. Well said. I agree with you. Good. Britt, do you believe in the power of crystals? Do I believe in the power of crystals? Oh, well, I guess it just depends. Well, I wish there was a follow-up to that. Um, <laughs> if we talk about like um, crystals in general or even the crystal skull, I mean, there's theories that if you put all the crystal skulls together, that the energy could form something. So I don't, I don't know. You know, I think I'd have to look into it a little bit more. But I've done research on quartz crystals and I'm fascinated with quartz crystals because they are heavily under the grounds of Gettysburg. And I did, I did an extensive research, um, on that because there's been some type of weird time loop happening there that I cannot explain. But if you take quartz crystals of what they are, and let's say because of how much are under the grounds under Gettysburg, you literally build a building with it. Well, quartz crystals was shaved down and put into anything that records. So you're, I mean, even back in the day when it first started, they used to put it into the recorder machines and the boxes and planes and everything else. And so now it's inside of our phones. It's inside our watches, believe it or not. And so it's meant to record. So if you look at the energy from Gettysburg and how tragic that was for the war, and then you take the quartz crystals and you charge them and electrify them with a thunderstorm, which is a high amount of electricity you're going to start to see what looks like mirages of people and beings because it recorded that image of what took place at that time. So for me, I think that like crystals in general hold a type of energy that we really don't know how to harness yet. And then when we do know how to harness it, well, it's like full Star Trek. And I think with quartz crystals in mind for that, what, what could we see in like a hologram type frame out if we had enough quartz crystals to energize, would we be able to play if it was fully energized, the whole ground of Gettysburg, could we fully play back the entire event that took place there? 
because it recorded it. And I think that's a lot of why some of those hauntings are so constant. And it seems like they're really constant after a very heavy thunderstorm with the lightning charging the ground. It's interesting. Good answer. Thanks. This one is to both of you. Oh, you have something on? Yes. Uh, The late, we know that quartz, specifically quartz crystals do have an energy based on the research of the late Dr. Michael Persinger of Canada, who uh, demonstrated that especially during uh, seismic activity, that with the sliding uh, as far as of different plates of quartz against one another, giving off luminous displays. And it would be his theory that this would often cause what people believe to be UFOs, that they would be seeing this luminosity during an earthquake activity. And that people in close proximity, his theory was that it also would affect the frontal lobe of the brain, causing them to hallucinate uh, such things as being abducted by aliens. And I remember one time with Dr. Persinger, I, I posed the question then. I said, why is it then if, if shifting quartz formations cause people to hallucinate, why are they all hallucinating UFO abductions? To which he couldn't give me an answer. In other words, why is it always the same thing? Right. So, but he, as a scientist, he was accepting the fact that, that quartz, crystal quartz, does affect the frontal lobe of the brain and will cause one to hallucinate. So uh, we need to look into that further as far as within a controlled laboratory, how much of an influence it does have on the brain and to what negative and positive effects. And he he would suggest that it was negative. Or we could flip it to the other side and what if quartz crystals actually help us enhance our brain? Yes, yes. And not hinder right. it. What if it's not hallucinations at all? And what we're actually experiencing and seeing is because we're actually tapping into a new part of our brain right. with the help right. of the power of the quartz crystal. So I think his approach was very limited because he was trying to prove that people, this was an explanation for UFOs. And, and you made a very the, valid point back. Which is obvious. It's swamp gas. Is always yes. Oh, here we go. So, you know. That's you the talk about swamp gas with me. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. <laughs> now, see, our listener questions have fostered brand new theories, right, Brett? Yeah. Like, this is good. I like where this, this is going. This is great. I do, too. This I have a awesome. question for, for both of you now. Have you had an experience seeing a ghost? And if so, what was the scariest moment? This is a question to both of you. Well, I okay. I, I'll, t- I'll take the first one, I guess. Um, I... Uh, my first ghost experience I saw when I was four. And I honestly think that out of all the experience I've had, and I have full blown seen full apparitions, full body people that I can physically like actually see, I've seen weird demonic looking things. But when I was four and I grew up in the mountains, I remember I was downstairs in our basement and we used to have what were considered garden level windows, which we know what those are. And I was waiting for my sisters to come back down and it was at night and I heard what sounded like a giant thump on the window. And I looked up, I had to be about four, maybe almost five. 
And I looked up and I remember seeing a Native American staring at me in the window as if like he, it was so weird. It was like, oh my God, she sees me and I see him, but I did the normal little kid thing. And I like blood curdled screamed at the top of my lungs and he disappeared right in front of my eyes. And I still remember exactly how he looked, but it was so traumatizing for me that it always stuck with me. And even after all the experiences I've had now as an adult and through my teens, that one always bothered me because I never understood why and how at a garden level window, I would see a native American because technically his half of his body was underground. So like, it was just very weird to me. It was very weird to me. It's like, imagine him like walking through the ground and then hitting a wall. <laughs> like that's how it would have been perceived to me. Cause it was so weird, but he was almost like crouched down at the window staring at me. And he was, I mean, he was, it, I mean, to this day I could draw him. That's how clear he was. It was the weirdest thing ever. Don, have you had an experience? Mine too was a, a basement experience in that it wasn't seeing something, but uh, I was six years old. My parents had stepped out for the evening. I was resting, I would think I was getting ready to fall asleep on the sofa with my dad's dad, with my grandfather. And he was sitting in a rocker. We both probably fell asleep about the same time and we both jolted up me from the sofa and him from the, the, the chair, as we heard what sounded like something sliding across the basement floor right beneath us. And I will never forget his going to the door and yelling down the steps, is anyone down there? And the look on his face as though, well, I'm not going to investigate. We're just going to wait until your father gets home and he can go check it out. And my dad would and mom return home. And that's the first thing his father tells him about. We heard something sliding across the basement floor. And my dad, very cautiously, the army drill sergeant that he had been during the war and, uh, you know, didn't take anything from anyone, but nonetheless, he still very cautiously went down the steps and we very anxiously waited. And when he came back up and again, the look of abject terror in his eyes, as he finally described how it was a wooden chair from a table set that had slid across the floor, almost 20 feet. Oh, wow. Something could move that wooden chair across the concrete floor. And uh, it clearly was something out of the ordinary. It was something that my dad, to the time he died, he still would talk about how, uh, you know, clearly that was a, a result of a manifestation, something that had actually physically moved that chair that far. And no animal, nobody else was there. And um, did, made my dad a believer overnight. Did you ever have any more accounts in the basement after that? Or was it just a one-time occurrence? Just that one time, just that one time. And it was, wow. uh, it, it, and at that time, the house was only seven years old. And wow. so. Um, wow, that's weird. I have a couple interesting things. If I can tell my story on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, so I actually have two things. I'll say one real quick. I think you'll find this one interesting, Britt, because this is kind of your hometown. When I went to the Stanley Hotel, I was taking pictures. 
and uh, and I'm I'm a professional photographer. I know my way around a camera. Like I know what lens flares are. I know when there's dust on the lens. I know if there's something that's not right with what I'm yeah. taking pictures of. So I have a very odd green footprint that goes down the halls that I've captured and in the room that King stayed in the haunted suite that he was in. Right. Yeah. When I photographed, I couldn't, someone was actually occupying the suite so we couldn't go into it, but I took a picture of the doorway of it just so I could see the room number and the door and like show that I was there in that part nothing of it like a just souvenir for me to have like hey here's where the room is you know this is like the most haunted potentially the most haunted spot in the hotel yeah and later on a friend of mine said blow this thing up and like really look at it and on one of the doors there's two like the adjoining rooms that are next to it there's other doors that are there one of them yeah. had a face on the door but it wasn't from any of us <laughs> and the way the angle was it couldn't have been us at all was crazy so i captured a face in the door and i captured ghostly footprints very odd that's nothing really I can really explain. cool nothing i can explain at all that that i could have done or any lighting issues or anything and i'll have to show this to you at some point but the story i have that's really good that i'm really uh, part of i've not can't say i've seen a ghost but there was a case I was investigating in Henryville, Indiana. And Henryville is a very interesting small town in Indiana. It has more reported UFO sightings than anywhere else in Indiana. It also has more ghost sightings than anywhere else in the state of Indiana. And it was a big community for satanic cults for a long time. In fact, it was so bad with satanic cults that the state police had to actually go in and start to like bust these groups. And, uh, and also, this is where the giant forestry is. So there's a giant forestry there. And this is where, and Don will remember this experience. A good friend of mine had a missing time experience and uh, Bud Hopkins regressed him to put him through it. That happened in Henryville. A lot of shit happens in Henryville. So a friend of mine, I was in my thirties at the time. And a friend of mine was training um, canines for the police. That's what his job. Like he had an independent company where he trained body sniffing and drug sniffing canines. And he would sell them to the FBI to, to police. These were highly trained dogs. And the reason I came across this was I shot a little documentary of him training the dogs and how the dogs learned to find stuff. It was really interesting to see how, how these uh, dogs would, could scent things and track things. But he buys this house in Henryville with a little property from a guy who was living in his car in the driveway because he was too terrified to set foot in the house. <laughs> True story. Serious? because the house was too haunted. So, so my friend buys this house at a steal and the dogs, these highly trained police dogs sit at the bottom of the stairs and yelp looking up the stairs of this house. They will not go upstairs. No matter what he tells them to do, they will not go upstairs. They're terrified of whatever was upstairs. So my friend hadn't been living in the house for very long and he started having these situations. Cabinet doors would open, drawers would open, things like this. He had a rational mind that thought, well, someone's screwing with me. I'll change the locks, you know, things like it still happened. The stuff still happened, but a lot of the activity was upstairs and there would be things like um, little trinkets on a shelf that would move, or he would have the bed made and then the bed would be unmade. Stuff like that would happen. So I went over there and I saw the dogs react the way they did just yelping, terrified of whatever was up there. And they would sit and they would look up the stairs and they would not go up there. Now, I've seen these dogs. These dogs would run in front of a car and get killed for him. They would yeah. not go there. 
And when I went up there, it was the oddest thing because it didn't, it felt like nothing I'd ever been in before. It wasn't like the room was musty or anything. An old house built in the thirties, you know, but it didn't smell moldy or mildewy or seem like there was no ventilation. Like it didn't, but it just felt like there was a pressure. That's what it felt like a pressure in the room. And it was the weirdest. I've never experienced it ever anywhere else. And I go into these, I don't go into these places and, you know, go in with a mindset of, Oh, I'm going to be creeped out. It was ghosts. You know, like I'm not in the, not in a mood like that. Just going right. up into a room. Like if you wouldn't had, if you wouldn't have told me that any activity was happening up there, I would have just gone up in the room and go, man, this room feels weird. Yeah. It's very odd, weird pressure. But, I, but the thing that happened to me while I was up there, nothing else happened, but while I was up there, it felt like someone put an ice cube on the back of my neck. <laughs> I had like a cold spot, like the deepest heart, like, like a can of like compressed air spraying on you, like that kind of like pinpoint cold, cold. That was the experience I had this room that was incredibly pressurized and this cold spot while these dogs are downstairs yelping that were up there. And it was right on the back of your neck. Yeah. Right on the middle of the back of my neck. So it's almost like something touched you. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah, that's amazing. I want to go there. Does he still live there? He did find out that there had been a fire in the house, but he didn't know if there were any, you know, casualties to it. There was really no way for him to find out, but he didn't stay living there though. He did move. It was too much for him eventually. So. Wow. I wonder what is going on there. It makes me want to go. Sorry, it just yeah, does. Henryville is a really interesting <laughs> town. There's so much stuff that's happened there. And they're, and they're actually the town that when Indiana got hit by their really serious tornadoes, which has been like 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. it came through and wiped out like a ton of Henryville. Like it was like, that's wow. where it dropped. Like this town is just cursed with bad luck and terrible things. Wow. Anyways, well, sorry for pack the Pack your bags, story. Don. We're going. Yeah. <laughs> Another um, one we had the, uh, the list of future adventures. Exactly. That I have one last question. Mm-hmm. Are there topics that Don and Britt don't agree on? <laughs> God, I don't know. Well, I like to believe I definitely know the definition of a woman. <laughs> uh, given that that's been in the news recently. Uh, Don, oh my God. <laughs> wow. I just can't believe that you two would agree on every single thing on no earthly explanation. So I'm just as much interested I, in this question as the, as the listener is. Don, come on. Tell me you don't believe in mermaids. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, hmm. <laughs> still, I, I know Britt still believes in the Easter Bunny, but... Um, Ain't nothing wrong with that, folks. Ain't nothing no. wrong with that. <laughs> Don't take this from me, guys. Let me fly. Let me fly. Maybe maybe we can answer this question by just throwing out some quick things. Okay. Werewolves, vampires, yes, no. Both of you in agreement on that? Yes. Yes, there are werewolves. Yes, there are werewolves. Only because I studied this. Don, werewolves, yes or no? Um, I've I've never looked into it, so I would plead ignorance. Uh, <laughs> We had uh, <laughs> having a blast with this. We had uh, uh, just a few miles west of here. We had a, a, a supposed uh, bear wolf, and I was surprised to even learn that there was such a creature, even being reported. 
combination of bear and wolf. And uh, there was a, a highway worker, a county worker that was called in late at night to pick up uh, a deer that was struck on the highway. And he loaded up the uh, what he thought was the carcass into the back of his metal box of his pickup truck. And with the cabin light on, he was writing up a report. And all at once he heard a loud racket in the back of the box and something was you know, struggling as it uh, was taken on. And he claimed that he saw pointed ears rise up in the mirror and that it was a bear wolf that had stolen the carcass of the deer and, and, and ran off into the field adjoining, you know, the, the highway. So dog man. So this guy yeah. claims he saw dog man. Yeah. Well, here, here in this area, it's called uh, bear wolf. Bear wolf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been told. And so the county uh, sheriff's department called me. I don't know why, because it's something that I've ever been involved with before. But I, I immediately offered the suggestion that, well, how do we know that the deer was even dead? How do we know that the deer wasn't just dazed? And the it, car. Came, it woke up and as on its, its hooves and the metal box, as it was scampering and trying to get up and get out of that, you know, box of that pickup truck. And what he saw were the pointed ears of the deer rise up in the back and it just pranced off. And what was, I was more curious with the fact there was a light snow that night. And if you really think that something, you know, extraordinary kidnapped the deer, why didn't anybody ever go and look for footprints? In yeah, the fresh tracks in the snow. Yeah, the good point. And it was like, oh, we never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so let But that's valid though, Don, because you know, deers have those pointed ears. And if that thing was just dazed and confused from being struck by a car and it's trying to get out of the back of the truck and that and guy's not paying attention. Yeah, I could see that. In a car or a truck with the lights, the dome lights on inside the car, you're not gonna see anything outside the windows. No, it's just gonna be a shadow. No, it yeah. Fully obscures your outside vision. So yeah. uh, See, Todd, something we agree on. So do you have something else for us? <laughs> I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep uh, fishing for something you two don't agree on over the course of the next dozen episodes to just make myself happy because there's got to be something you guys can't be in agreement on everything. This is crazy. But anyways, that's all the questions I have today. This has been fun. I love these Q and A's and uh, I'm going to turn it over to you all to kind of take the show out. All right. Sounds good. I, I loved this actually. I, I truly love hearing the random topics and, and thoughts of listeners, because honestly, that's, you know, that's the engine, that's the engine behind all the research and the work that we do without those, those thoughts or the theories or the ideas that are circling out there, you know, the, the field work, whether it's, you know, ufology, whether it's cryptozoology, whether it's paranormal investigating for ghosts, spirits, other dimensions, whatever, if we don't have new thinkers or new, new outside of the box thinkers, the, these field work, this field work, and others will basically kind of collapse on itself because then it'll just run aground. So having that constant flow of energizing the brain cells to have to think about different things. Yeah. I, I love it. I couldn't ask I more, just keep piling in the questions. Let's do it. Do you agree, Don? 
I'm going to make sure I find things that we do not agree on. <laughs> and then I'm going to then make sure we have guests that uh, you'll sit there for an hour and just kind of grind your teeth. Like, why is this person? I don't believe a word they're saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to have fun with it. But no, 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 no. We, I'm, I'm impressed by the fact that um, we aren't opposites in, in, in a sense that we both have a true fascination for yeah. things that can't be explained, that too many people have had too many experiences throughout the course of humankind. Yeah. And that um, I often pose the question to a journalist whenever they feel that they're so easily able to wrap up a story. And I will ask them, to me, the sign of a good journalist slash reporter is somebody walks away and goes, but what if they were telling the truth? Exactly. Because yes. too many solve that mystery. You know, no, 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 no. It's not so easily done. Yep. Would, and, and it's down. a case of preserving, you know, the story as much as it's yes, but we can never be so positive in our resolve that things are so easily wrapped up and tied up in a neat little bowl and therein is where the fascination for never letting something die until you have all the facts all the data and that's what this show is all about exactly well it's like i always say everything is possible until proven and proven, I put in capitals, impossible. And like a post I just made to basically just follow up with what you just said, I, I posted the Komodo dragon because that was once considered a cryptid because when it was first witnessed and seen and it was reported back of like these eight foot, nine foot lizards running around almost like a dragon, science at that time said they don't exist and what you're seeing isn't what you think you're seeing. You must be delusion what you're eating or whatever. And thank God for these explorers because they said, well, forget that. I'll go back and capture this and bring it back for you to see. And they did just that. And thanks to them, we now have the Komodo dragon on display inside zoology or zoological parks everywhere being taught in zoology. And what's funny, after some digging I did, they don't teach that in zoology. They don't tell you about how that was questioned and how that was poo-pooed on. They are all about the Komodo dragon was an exploration discovered in 1910. They don't tell you all the details about how that was once considered a cryptid. So keep an open mind when investigating anything that goes bump in the night and listen to your witnesses. Meteors were not uh, accepted as scientific fact. Um, landing on the moon was long dispelled that it would be impossible um, as far as ball lightning doesn't yeah. exist. Yep. And, you know, just science is rife with examples of where they've had to rewrite their term papers and finally conceding that they were wrong. Science remains fluid. Science remains unpredictable. Yep. And we're looking at it from our small little speck, you know, here on planet Earth with the thought that all answers are here. No, ladies and gentlemen, we're just scratching the surface. And that's where anyone who is willing to get on the train 
and continue with us as far as, as we continue to explore things that go bump in the night. We're never gonna stop being fascinated and amazed at still what lies out there yet to be chartered and explored. And we hope to always remain in that race. I'm right there with you. I agree. Let's go get it, Don. Let's go get it. Let's and on that them. note, guys, I just want to thank everyone for listening again to No Earthly Explanation. You can visit our official website at anchor.fm forward slash No Earthly Explanation. You can send us an email just like you did tonight to send us your questions for Don and myself at no earthly explanation at gmail.com. No personal love letters, ladies, to Don. We know how desirable he is. And you can also <laughs> listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, uh, Breaker. Gosh, every place that you listen to podcasts, you can pretty much find us. We're there. You can follow us on Facebook forward slash No Earthly Explanation, uh, Instagram at No Earthly Explanation. Or if you'd like to follow us individually and see what we're up to when we aren't doing these crazy conversations, you can follow myself, Britt Barbieri on Facebook at Brit Barbieri Official, Instagram at Brit Investigates, and Donald Raymond Schmidt on Instagram at Don47Tom, and Facebook forward slash Donald Raymond Schmidt. Look us up, follow us for fun on what we do every day, follow our fun posts, engage with us, love us or hate us. It is what it is. And until next time, Don, my aliens are here. We're going to go have a party tonight somewhere. I don't know. in some galaxy far away. So you be safe tonight. And until next time to all our listeners. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content.